What's up, infinite jest heads, infinite jesters, infinite jesterinos, infinite infinite jestaholics, <laughs> infinite jestaholics. <laughs> what else does he say? Uh, uh, infinite jest jest wads, infinite jest wads, infinite jestoids, infinite jesterinos. Uh, we're here in the garage with all the cats. <laughs> Yeah, got my coffee. I was about to do my Mark Marin and then I choked on my own saliva. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is gonna be so bad. I've been trying to cut down on caffeine. I've been caffeine. trying to cut down on caffeine. You know, not it's going not doing well. Great. Uh, you know, you gotta have your coffee in the morning. You wake up. People start asking you, you to do things, and you gotta have that coffee. But the caffeine makes you anxious. Gives you anxiety. <laughs> That's no good. Gotta cut that down. Uh, and something else you can cut down is your carbs by eating Magic Spoon cereal. <laughs> uh, you ever had Magic Spoon cereal? It's just like the cereal you enjoyed how as about, a kid. How, how about this is a bit. Uh, millennial Mark Marin. What's up, fucker? If uh, what what's up, fuckheads, fuckerinos? I've got anxiety, <laughs> I got and, anxiety depression. and depression. Another okay. one of my cats died because I have too much ADHD to feed them. <laughs> Jesus, I have too much ADHD. As if it's like an amount. Yes. Uh, can't, I can't believe I gave the the that cereal company free clout. Never again. <laughs> I wonder if we did Not ads spawn. on this podcast. <laughs> Honestly, whatever. It would be in keeping with the postmodern uh, yeah. aspect of. Uh, if you would like to advertise on Infinite Jest, get at us. Honestly, we we would do micro advertising. Yes. Like if you're in a band that has like 200 followers, <laughs> and you want, on Twitter, and you want to like Venmo us like seven dollars, seven bucks, six bucks. Um, we would we would give you a shout out. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's not quite DIY or die. I don't think. Uh, the members of Fugazi would support something like that, but like you know, just a little bit. It's not about the money, man. <laughs> it's about it's about the message. Yes. All right. <laughs> how, you, how you doing, Chris? Good. I was thinking about sharing my cancelable ADHD. Oh take. no. Oh Maybe god. Someday on this pod, I will. Yeah. I have I have one atomic ADHD uh, <laughs> take that I'm always kind of tempted to uh, to to tweet because I know it would get a lot of people mad at me, but. Actually, wait, can I soft cancel you? Yeah, what? Well, uh, just I was talking about because I'm I'm a little bit mentally ill in a female way. So I had to listen to the Julia Fox <laughs> yes. uh, X Caroline Calloway podcast. And when I told you that it existed, <laughs> you immediately drew to the conclusion that they would need some help with their production. Uh, well, you then looked into their production and uh and what did you discover? The person who you know mixed, recorded, and mixed and edited their audio is, uh, works at Slate. What's uh, their name? I forget. I thought you said Kevin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about what about why you? Oh, that it's boys. That boys have to <laughs> see. Now I'm going to hard cancel you. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're the uh, Daily Dot headlines write itself. Yes. Chapo Chapo House producer Chris Wade yeah, thinks that only are, men can produce men, audio. The the people who the the people who um, many of the people who originally got me into audio production were ladies, and the the first and the first person who I ever heard, uh, met who was like, "Hey, this podcast thing, it's going to be real and get get into it." Was um, was a woman so. Shout out to that. So, yeah. So I guess it makes up for that then. Shout out to all the ladies out there recording audio. We see you. We hear you. Um, should we get into it? Yes. All right. Well, things are happening, Chris. Great. As at all DSAS certified halfway facilities and it houses resident curfew is 2330 hours mm -hmm. from 2300 to 2330 the staffer on night duty has to do head counts and sit around like somebody's mom waiting for different residents to come in there's always ones that like always like to cut it close and play with the idea of getting discharged for something picayune so it won't be their fault tonight clinet h and the deeply whacked out yolanda w come back in from footprints which takes us to end note 246 uh, a depressing new sober club in Somerville's Davis Square where AAs and NAs, mostly new and young, get heartbreakingly dolled up and dance stiffly and tremble with sober sexual anxiety. And they stand around with cokes and MFs telling each other how great it is to be in an intensely social venue with all your self-conscious inhibitions unmedicated and screaming in your head. The smiles alone in these places are excruciating to see. <laughs> Woof. Sounds fun. 
footprints. Around 20, back to the text, around 2315 in purple skirts and purple lipstick and ironed hair, tottering on heels and telling each other what a wicked time they just had. Tottering. Tottering might be the, the word with the most frequency other than like uh, A and the, mm-hmm. you know, um, articles. Tottering, postprandial, and zither are, yeah, are, <laughs> are, are top in the word cloud. <laughs> Hester Thrail undulates in in a false fox jacket at 2320 as usual, even though she has to be up at like 0430 for the breakfast shift at the Provident Nursing Home and sometimes eats breakfast with Gately, both their faces nodding down perilously close to their frosted flakes. Chandler Foss and the spectrally thin April Cortellu come in from someplace with postures and expressions that arouse comments and force Gately to log a possible issue about an in-house relationship. Gately has to bid goodnight to two craggy-faced brunette ex-residents who've been planted on the couch all night talking cults. Emil Menti and Nell Gunther and sometimes Gavin Deal, who Gately did three weeks of a municipal bit with once at Concord Farm, make a nightly point of going to smoke outside on the front porch and coming in only after Gately says twice he's got to lock the door, just as some limp, rebellious gesture. Tonight, they're closely followed by a mustacheless lens who sort of oozes through the door just as Gately's going through his keys to get the key to lock it, and kind of brushes by and goes up to the three-man without a word, which he's been doing a lot lately, which Gately has to log, plus the fact that it is now after 23.30 and he can't account for either the semi-new girl, Amy J., or, more upsetting, Bruce Green. Then Green knocks at the front door at 23.36. Gately has to log the exact time, and then it's his call whether to unlock the door. (laughs) (laughs) After curfew, staff doesn't have to unlock the door. Many a bad news resident gets effectively bounced this way. Gately lets him in. Green's never come close to missing curfew before and looks god-awful, skin potato white and eyes vacant. And a big quiet kid is one thing, but Green looks at the floor of Pat's office like it's a loved one while Gately gives him the required ass-chewing. And Green takes the standard dreaded week's full house restriction, which takes us to end note 247. Oh, a restriction means just no overnight that week and an extra chore. A house restriction means you have to be back an hour after work and nightly meetings. Full house is no leaving the house except for work and meetings and 15 minutes to get back and no even leaving to buy smokes or a paper or even to go out in the lawn for oxygen. And one violation means a discharge. FHR is in its version of the whole and it's dreaded. Uh, back to the text. Uh takes it in such a vacantly hangdog way and is so lamely vague when Gately asks, does he want to tell him where he's been at and why he couldn't make 23.30 and whether there's anything that's an issue that he might want to share with staff. So unresponsive that Gately feels like he has no choice but to pull an immediate spot urine on Green, which Gately hates doing not only because he plays cribbage with Green and feels like he's taken taken Green under the old Gately wing and is probably the closest thing to a sponsor the kids got, but also because urine samples taken after Unit 2's clinics closed, which takes us to end note 248. <laughs> uh, he's, he's edging us with these end notes. Lord almighty. And it house takes its urines over to the methadone clinic, which has all manner of clients who have to submit weekly urines to courts and programs. And the clinic lets Ennett put its urines gratis in the weekly batch the clinic sends out to an EMIT mill clinic all the way out in Natick. In return, every once in a while, Pat gets a call from the trollish little social worker who runs number two about some client down there who's decided he wants off the methadone as well. And Pat will shoot the client way up on the interview list and give him an interview and usually let the client in. Calvin T. and Danielle S. had both originally got into Ennett House this way, i.e. via number two. <laughs> I like a backroom methadone clinic deal. Uh, doing trades like it's an NBA, an NBA team. Hey, we'll take we'll take uh, we'll we'll take Calvin Thrust uh, if he's if he's willing to come join the team. Uh, take his talents to Ennett House. <laughs> take his, he's gonna take. That's one. That's one of my favorite uh, phrases of all time. Is taking your talents to blank. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I wish. Uh, yes, I wish if 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 and when I ever like get a new or different job, that's how I'm gonna phrase it. You should do the video. Yeah, um, the decision. The deci- You should do the decision. <laughs> uh, the last video I post to the Chavo Trap House uh, YouTube page. I will now be going to Pod Save America. Oh, taking my, I'm now taking my talents to Pod Save America. Oh, back to the text. After unit number two's clinics close, have to be stored overnight in the little staff miniature fridge lit in Don <laughs> Gately's basement room. The Wait, how, how old was, is Bruce Green supposed to be? Like in his 20s or in something? In his mid-20s. And Lenz is like in his 40s or something. No, right? Lenz is only, I believe he's 28 years old. Oh, okay. So maybe Green is more like 22, 23. Okay. 
Um, but they're both imagine, basically the same type of guy. Okay, I'd imagine Lens. I guess just because of the name of Randy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't Lens, I don't know how old he is. He, I, I would guess he's in his 30s. Yeah, I imagine him closer, closer to 40. Yeah. You just you never he's been see, on the street for a minute. You never hear the name Randy on a guy who's less than like 34 years old. It's true. Randy Lenz. Uh, the only fridge in the house that no resident could conceivably dicky into. And Gately hates to have a warm blue lidded cup of somebody's goddamn urine in his <laughs> fridgelet with his pears and polar seltzer, etc. Polar, polar seltzer, seltzer! Shout out. That's a good pull. Northeast. Before seltzer was hot. Oh, man. I fuck with... I, you know what? I actually didn't. I thought seltzer was pretty stupid in high school. I'm like, why isn't it flavored enough? Why isn't it soda? Uh, Polar seltzer's got some good flavors. The flavors are, are yeah, fucked up. Yeah. One of the best. Ooh, when we go on a walk today, I would like to try to find the uh, the new Cosmic Coke flavors. Okay, yeah. Green submits to Gately's cross-armed presence in the men's head as Green produces a urine so efficiently and with so <laughs> and with so little bullshit that Gately is able to take the lidded cup between gloved thumb and finger and get it downstairs and tagged and logged and down in the fridgelet in time to not be late for getting the residence's cars moved. I know we're interjecting a lot, but I had to do a blood test at LabCorp the uh, the other week for just you know a regular physical, mm-hmm. and I walked in and uh, they were like, "Oh, and here's the the cup for the urine mm-hmm. test." And I was like, "I was." not expecting urine i do not know how well i will be able to produce this is a curveball that i was unprepared for yeah and i went into the little bathroom and i was like god how am i gonna do this and then boom right there There just instantly and i was like "Mm, i'm 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 producing this sample so efficiently i was very proud of myself (laughs) i definitely remember there's some appointments that involved maybe some commuting like while i was like working or something and it's always a crapshoot especially in new york city to try to arrive at a doctor's place with a full bladder when like maybe the subway breaks down it's always a a careful dance i find uh, okay, getting the resident's cars moved, the night shift's biggest pain in the ass. But then his final headcount at 2345 reminds Gately that Amy J isn't back and she hasn't called. And Pat has told him the decision to discharge after a missed curfew is his call. And at 2350, Gately makes the decision and has to get Treat and Belbin to go up into the five-woman room and pack the girl's stuff up in the same Irish luggage she'd brought it in Monday. <laughs> and Gately has to put the trash bags on the front porch with a quick note explaining the discharge and wishing the girl good luck. And has to call Pat's answering device down in Milton and leave word of a mandatory curfew discharge at 2350 hours so Pat can hear about it first thing in the a.m. and schedule interviews to fill the available bed ASAP. And then with a hissed curse, Gately remembers the anti-big hanging gut sit-ups he's sworn to do himself every night before oh 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 and it's 2356 and he has time to do only 20 with his huge discolored sneakers wedged under the frame of the office's black vinyl couch before it's unavoidably time to supervise moving the residence's cars around <laughs> i just like that he's, he's afraid of getting a, a gut Yes. Uh, like he, I'm sure he sees the like some pretty crazy bodies in his line of yeah, work. I just, I'm just really digging this in the last second. All the uh, obnoxious things that Kaylee has to do, yeah. moving all the cars. Around. Just the process too yeah. of like you can't just like throw a chick's uh like clothes out the door. You, you have to like, like write a note and, and then, then call somebody. Yeah. Log it. Yeah, Fuck. logging. <laughs> Gately's predecessor as male live-in staff, a designer narcotics man who now, via mass rehab, learning who's now, via mass rehab, learning to repair jet engines at East Coast Aerotech, once described residents' vehicles to Gately as a continuing boil on the ass of night staff. Ennett House lets any resident with a legally registered vehicle and insurance keep their car at the house if they want during residency to use for work and nightly meetings, etc. And the Enfield Marine Public Health Hospital goes along, except they put authorized parking for all the unit's clients out in the little street right outside the house. And since Metro Boston's serious fiscal troubles in the third year of subsidized time, there's been this hellish municipal deal where only one side of any street is legal for parking and the legal side switches abruptly at 000 hours. And cruisers and municipal tow trucks prowl the streets from 0001 hours on, writing $95 tickets and or towing suddenly illegally parked vehicles to a region of the South End so blasted and dangerous no cabbie with anything to live for will even go there. (laughs) So the interval 2355 hours to 0005 hours in Boston is a time of total but not very spiritual community with guys in skivvies and ladies in mud masks staggering out yawning into the crowded midnight streets and disabled their alarms and revving and all trying to pull out and do a U and find a parallel parking place facing the other way. 
There's nothing very mysterious about the fact that Metro Boston's battery and homicide rates during this 10-minute interval are the highest per diem, (laughs) so that ambulances and paddy wagons are especially a prowl at this hour, too, adding to the general clot and snarl. Since the EMPHH units, catatonics, and enfeebled people rarely own registered vehicles, it's generally pretty easy to find places along the little road to switch to, but it's a constant sore port sore point between Pat Montesian and the EMPHH Board of Regents that Ennett House residents don't get to park overnight in the big off-street lot by the condemned hospital building. The lot spaces are reserved for all the different units' professional staff starting at 0600 hours, and EM security got sick of staff's complaints about drug addicts' poorly maintained autos still sitting there taking up their spots in the AM. And that security won't consider changing the little EM streetlet's nightly side switch to 2300 hours before Edit House's DSAS required curfew. EM's board claims it's a municipal ordinance that they can't be expected to mess with just to accommodate one tenant, while Pat's memos keep pointing out that the Enfield Marine Hospital complex is state, not city-owned, and that Ennett House residents are the only tenants who face the nightly car-moving problem since just about everyone else is catatonic or enfeebled, and so on. But so every p.m. at like 23.59, Gately has to lock up the lockers and Pat's cabinets and desk drawers and the door to the front office and put the phone console's answering machine on and personally escort all residents who own cars out post-curfew outside into the little nameless streetlet. And for somebody with Gately's real limited managerial skills, the headaches involved are daunting. He has to herd the vehicular residents together just inside the locked front door. He has to threaten the residents he's herded together into staying together by the door while he clomps upstairs to get the one or two drivers who always forget and fall asleep before oh, 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 oh. And this straggler collecting is a particular pain in the ass if the straggler is a female because he has to unlock and press the male coming up button by the kitchen and the buzzer sounds more like a klaxon and wakes the edgiest female residents up with an ugly surge of adrenaline and Gately, as he clomps up the stairs, gets roundly bitched out by all the mud-masked heads sticking out into the female hall. And he, by regulation, can't go into the sleeper's bedroom but has to pound on the door and keep shouting out his gender... (laughs) (laughs) and get one of the straggler's roommates to wake her up and get her dressed into the bedroom door so he has to retrieve the stragglers and chew them out and threaten them with both a restriction and a possible toe while herding them quick walking down the staircase to join the main car owner herd as quickly as possible before the main herd can like disperse (laughs) they'll always disperse if he takes too long getting stragglers they'll get distracted or hungry or need an ashtray or just get impatient and start looking at the whole car moving after curfew thing as an imposition on their time their early recovery denial makes it impossible for them to imagine their own car getting towed instead of say someone else's car it's the same denial gately can see at work in the younger bu or c students when he's driving pat's aventura to the food bank or purity supreme when they'll fucking walk right out in the street against the light in front of the car, whose brakes are fortunately in top shape. Gately snapped to the fact that people of a certain age and level of like life experience believe they're immortal. College students and alcoholics slash addicts are the worst. They deep down believe they're exempt from the laws of physics and statistics that ironly govern everybody else. They'll piss and moan your ear off if somebody else fucks with the rules, but they don't deep down see themselves subject to them, the same rules. And they're constitutionally unable to learn from anybody else's experience. If some jaywalking BU student does get splattered on calm, or some house resident does get his car towed at 005, your other students or addicts' response to this will be to ponder just what imponderable difference makes it possible for that other guy to get splattered or towed, (laughs) and not him, the ponderer. They never doubt the difference, they just ponder it. It's like a kind of idolatry of uniqueness. (laughs) (laughs) It's unvarying and kind of spirit-killing for a staffer to watch that the only way your addict ever learns anything is the hard way. It has to happen to them to, like, upset the idolatry. Eugenio M. and Annie Parrott always recommend letting everybody get towed at least once early on in their residency to help make believers out of them in terms of laws and Mm. rules. But Gately, for some reason, on his night shifts, can't do it, cannot fucking stand to have one of his people get towed as long as there's something he can do to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And then, plus, if they do get towed, there's the nail-chewing hassle of arranging their transport to the South End's municipal lot the next day, fielding calls from bosses and supplying verification of residents' carlessness in terms of getting to work without letting the boss know that the carless employee is a resident of a halfway house, which is totally sacred, private residents' private information to give out or not. 
Gately breaks a full body sweat just thinking about the managerial headaches involved in a fucking toe. <laughs> so he'll spend time hurting and regathering and chewing the absent-minded asses of residents who Gene M says have such calloused asses. Still, it's a waste of Gately's time and spirit. You have to let them learn for themselves. Which takes us to note 249, which says... It's maybe significant that Don Gately never once failed to clean up any vomit or incontinence his mother just drunkenly left there or passed out in, no matter how pissed off or disgusted he was or how sick he himself was. Not once. Ah, Don. Oh, Don. Gately alerts Thrail. I I, I sympathize with that. The the very much I sympathize with the, 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 the internal conflict of like, I could just... I could let this problem go to teach the problem haver a a lesson about it, and so it won't happen again. Yeah, but then it's a problem, and then it's my problem. That's so, my problem. So then I I got to do something about also it. Also, the you know the ultimate frustrating thing about especially a lot of like political issues is mm-hmm. that like you know maybe you're homophobic until you have a gay son. Yes, like it, until it literally comes yeah. within your fucking like, David Axelrod being like, hey. <laughs> My insurance raised the price of this medicine to six hundred dollars a month. That seems unfair. <laughs> seems bad. Why? Why did <laughs> thank this happen? You, thank you, David. Can someone do anything about it? Should we advocate <laughs> for some better way? No, I. It is. It is one of the uh, extreme frustrations of being yeah. a human that you can't. the The idea of uh, empathizing or putting yourself yeah. in someone else's shoes is so fucking difficult it, for some yes, people. It's, well, it's and it's hard to imagine anything actually happening to you until it happens. Till it happens to you, you don't know how it feels. Do you know that song? Is that a real song? It is. It's a. It's a song about. <laughs> it's a song about campus date rape. Oh God! You know, sung by Lady Gaga and written by Diane Warren. Oh God! It's that song. Yeah. Oh God! Is Sorry, I don't mean a, to make light of. Uh, did she of win an Oscar rape. for that song? It was nominated. I don't think. I don't think she won. Has she won an Oscar yet? No. She won an Oscar for um for Shallow. Oh, for Shallow. Best Great. song. Thank uh, God. Uh, uh, sorry, truly, truly don't mean to, that's, uh, that's to seemed, make light of uh, no. uh, campus rape, but also that song is dog <laughs> shit. <laughs> Consider a better song. Uh, there, there's there's a lot of better songs about that topic. Anyway, Gately alerts Thrail and Foss and Erdetti and Henderson, which takes us to EndNote 250. You're right about the edging. Um, 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 who owns a Lincoln, Henderson does. Origins unknown and suspicious. <laughs> And Morris Hanley and drags the new kid Tingley out of the linen closet and Nell Gunther, who's fucking sacked out slack mouth on the couch in violation and lets them all get coats and herds them together by the locked front door. Yolanda W. says she left personal items in Clinette's car and can she come? Lenz owns a car but doesn't answer Gately's yell up the stairs. Gately tells the herd to stay put and that if anybody leaves the herd, he's going to take a personal interest in their discomfort. <laughs> the, the, he's doing a good job of making this sound so obnoxious. I know. <laughs> it's, but yeah, truly like herding cats. Uh, Gately clomps up the stairs and into the three-man room, plotting different fun ways to wake Lens up without bruises that show. <laughs> Lens is not asleep, but is wearing personal stereo headphones, plus a jock strap, doing handstand push-ups up against the wall by Jeffrey Day's rack. What? His bottom only inches from Day's pillow, and farting in rhythm to the push-ups downstrokes as Day lies there in pajamas and Lone Ranger sleep mask, hands folded over his heaving chest, lips moving soundlessly. Gately's maybe a little rough about grabbing Lenz's calf, lifting him off his hands, and using his other big hand on Lenz's hip to twirl him around upright like a drill team's rifle. <laughs> but Lenz's cry is of over-ebullient over greeting, not pain, but it sends both Day and Gavin Deal bolt upright in their racks, and then they curse as Lenz hits the floor. Lenz starts saying he'd let time completely get away from him and didn't know what time it was. Gately can hear the herd down by the front door at the bottom of the stairs, stamping and chuffing and getting ready to maybe disperse. Up this close, Gately doesn't even need his staffer's eerie seventh sense to sense that Lenz is clearly wired on either Drins or Bing, that Lenz has been visited by the sergeant at arms. Lenz's right (laughs) eyeball is wobbling around in its socket and his mouth writhing in that way, and he has that Nietzschean supercharged aura of a wired individual. And all the time, he's throwing on slacks and topcoat and incognitoizing wig and getting almost pitched headfirst down the stairs by Gately. He's telling this insane, breathless whopper about his finger once getting cut off and then spontaneously <laughs> re- regentrifying itself back on. 
and his mouth is writhing in that fish-on-a-gaff way distinctive of a sustained L-dopa surge. And Gately wants to pull an immediate urine. Immediate! But meanwhile, the car's herd's edges are just starting to widen in that way that precedes distraction and dispersal. And they're angry, not at Lenz for straggling, but at Gately for even bothering with him. In Lenz pantomimes the Aikido serene but deadly crane stance at Ken Erdetti and it's 0004 hours. And Gately can see tow trucks a prowl way down on Com Ave coming this way. And he jangles his keys and unlocks all three curfew locks on the front door and gets everybody out in the scrotum-tightening November cold and out down the walk to the line of their cars in the little street and stands there on the porch watching in just orange shirt sleeves, making sure Lenz doesn't bolt before he can pull a spot urine and extract admission and discharge him officially, feeling a twinge of conscience at so looking forward to giving Lenz the administrative shoe, and Lenz jabbers nonstop to whoever's closest all the way to his duster, and everybody goes to their car, and the backwash around Gately from the open house door is hot, and people in the living room provide loud feedback on the draft from the open door. The sky overhead immense and dimensional, and the night so clear you can see stars hanging in a kind of lacteal goo. And out on the streetlet, a couple car doors are squeaking and slamming, and some people are conversing and delaying just to make staff have to stand there in shirt sleeves on the cold porch. A small nightly sideways ball-busting rebellious gesture... When Gately's eye falls on Dooney R. Glynn's specialty disemboweled old dusty black VW bug parked with the other cars on the now illicit street side, its rear mount engine's guts on full glitter display under the little street's lights, and Glynn's upstairs in bed tonight legitimately prostrate with diverticulitis, which for insurance reasons means Gately has to go back and ask some resident with a driver's license to come move Glynn's VW across the street which is humiliating because it means admitting publicly to those specimens that he, Gately, doesn't have a valid license. And the sudden heat of the living room confuses his goose pimples, and nobody in the living room will admit to having a driver's license. And it turns out the only licensed resident who's still vertical and downstairs is Bruce Green, who's in the kitchen, expressionlessly stirring a huge amount of sugar into a cup of coffee with his bare, blunt finger. And Gately finds himself having to ask for managerial assistance from a kid he likes and has just bitched out and extracted urine from, which Green minimizes the humiliation of the whole thing by volunteering to help the second he hears the words Glynn and fucking car (laughs) and goes to the living room closet to get out his cheap leather jacket and fingerless gloves. And but now Gately has to leave the residence outside, still unsupervised for a second, to go clomping upstairs and verify that it's kosher with Glenn for Bruce Green to move his car. Which takes us to note 251. <laughs> this is all for insurance reasons. The staff sheet on which Gately doesn't understand all the language of and fears. <laughs> Back to the text. The two men I feel see- like this whole segment is like you know, something like collapsing into black hole just like gets longer and longer. I feel mm-hmm. like it's, as you've alluded that this is moving towards something, if it feels like everything is just like stretching out. Yes. Yeah. I feel I'm I'm wondering if the fucking Canadians are going to raid uh, these these guys as they're trying to move these cars. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Back to the text. The two-man seniorist male's bedroom has a bunch of old AA bumper stickers on it and a calligraph calligraphic poster that says everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it (laughs) I kind of want that shit (laughs) and the answer to Gately isn't that true and the answer to Gately's knock is a moan and Glynn's little naked lady bedside lamp he brought in with him is on he's in his rack curled on his side clutching his abdomen like a kicked man McDade is illicitly sitting on Foss's rack reading one of Foss's motorcycle magazines and drinking Glynn's millennial fizzy with stereo headphones on. And he hurriedly puts out his cigarette when Gately enters and closes a little drawer in the bedside table where Foss keeps his ashtray just like everybody else. Which takes us, oh, believe God. it or not, to EndNote 252. It's against house rules to smoke upstairs in the bedrooms, more insurance reasons, and a week's restriction is supposed to be mandatory, and Pat's personally a fanatic about the rule, but Gately, much as he fears the grim boilerplate on the insurance sheet, always pretends he doesn't see anything when he sees somebody smoking up here, since when he was a resident, he actually used to sometimes smoke in his sleep, he was so tense, and every once in a while will wake up and find that he has again, i.e. lit a gasper and apparently smoked it and put it out all in his sleep, down in his bed in his staff oubliette in the basement. (laughs) Oubliette, good word. Yeah. Uh... 
back to the text. The street outside sounds like Daytona. <laughs> a drug addict is like physically unable to start a car without gunning the engine. <laughs> Gately looks quickly out the west window over Glenn's rack to verify that all the unsupervised headlights going down the little street are ewing and coming back the right way to repark. Gately's forehead is wet, and he feels the start of a greasy headache from managerial stress. Glenn's crossed eyes are glassy and feverish, and he's softly singing the lyrics to a choosy mother's song to a tune that isn't the song's tune. Dune, Gately whispers. One of the cars is coming back down the street a little fast for Gately's taste. Anything involving residents that happens on the ground after curfew is his responsibility, the house manager has made clear. Dune. It's the bottom eye, grotesquely, that rolls up at Gately. Don. Dune. <laughs> Don, Dune, the witch is dead. Dune, I need to let Green move your car. Vehicle's black, Don. Brucey Green needs your keys so as we can switch your car over, brother. It's midnight. Oh, of course, Don's a guy who calls people brother. Yeah. <laughs> my black bug, my baby, the roachmobile, the dunulator's wheels. His mobility, his exposed baby, his slice of the American pie. Simonize my baby when I'm gone, Don Dune. <laughs> Keys, Dooney. Simonize me, baby. Take them. Take it. Want you to have it. One true friend. Bar- brought me Ritz crackers and a fizz. Treat it like a roach lady. <laughs> Shiny, black, hard, mobile. Needs premium and a weekly wax. Dune, you got to show me where the keys, brother. And the bowel. Got a weekly shine, the pipes in the bowel, exposed to view with a soft cloth, the mobile roach, the bowel mobile. The heat coming off Glenn is face tightening. You feel like you got a fever, Dune? At one point, elements of staff thought Glenn might be playing sick to get out of looking for a job after losing his menial job at Brighton Fence and Wire. All Gately knows about diverticulitis is that Pat said it's intestinal and alcoholics can get it in recovery from impurities in bottom shelf blends that the body's trying to expel. Glynn's had physical complaints all through his residency, but nothing like this here. His face is gray and waxy with pain, and there's a yellowish crust on his lips. Glynn's got a real severe adtorsion, and the bottom eye is rolled up at Gately with a terrible delirious glitter, the top eye rolling around like a cow's eye. Gately still cannot bring himself to feel another man's forehead. He settles for punching Glynn very lightly on the shoulder. You think we need to take you over to St. E's to get your intestine looked at, Dune, do you think? Oh, it's done. <laughs> you think you... Because he's worrying about what if a resident comas or dies on his shift, and then feeling shame that this is his worry, the squeal of brakes and raised voices noises down out front hasn't registered on Gately right away. But Hester Thrale's unmistakable high B-sharp scream does, i.e. register, and now serious feet running up the stairs. Green's face in the doorway, red in round patches high on his cheeks. Come out. The fuck's the problem out, Green? Come now, Gately. Glenn Sato. Mother. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> Gately. I, I love, I love uh, the, the Roachmobile. The Roachmobile. Simonize my baby when I, got, when I die. <laughs> Gately doesn't even get to ask Green what the fuck again on the stairs because Green is down ahead out the door so fast. The damn front door has been open all this time. A watercolor of, oh God, a watercolor of a retrieverish dog cants and then falls from the wall on the staircase from the vibrations of Gately taking two stairs down at a time. He doesn't take time to grab his coat off Pat's couch. All he's got on is a donated orange bowling shirt with the name Moose (laughs) cursive stitched on the breast and Shuko Mist MPS in ghastly aqua blocks across the back, which takes us to endnote 253. The items from the house's donated clothing ba- donated clothes baskets that fit Gately being few and far. This would be the um the the action figure of Gately would yes. be in the 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 moose bowling the Funko shirt. Pop, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don Gately, Don Gately Funko, Funko Pop. He does have a big head. Yes. He's a Funko Pop. Uh, back to the text. And he feels every follicle on his body hump up again as the cold encases him on the front porch and the wheelchair ramp down to the little walkway. The night is cold and glycerin clear and quite still. Very distant sounds of car horns and raised voices down on calm. Green's receding at a run up, uh, off up the little streetlet into a glare of high beams that diffracts in the clouds of Gately's breath. 
so even as Gately walks briskly, which takes us to end note 254. Come on, man. (laughs) Gately's made it an iron point never again ever to run once he got straight. (laughs) Back to the text. uh, Walks briskly in Green's leather-smelling backwash toward a rising hubbub of curses and Lenz's high-speed voice and Thrail's glass-shattering cries and Henderson and Willis talking shit angrily to someone and the sound of Joel VD's veiled head in an upstairs window that isn't the five women rooms shouting something down to Gately as he appears in the street. Even as he closes it, even as he closes in, it takes a while for the scene to decoct out of the fog of his breath and its shifting spears of color against the headlights. He passes Glynn's disemboweled and illegally parked bug. Several of the residents' cars are idling at haphazard angles of mid-U-turn in the middle of the street, and in front of them is a modified dark Montego with high beams and jacked rear wheels and a turbo's carnivorous idle. Two almost gately-sized bearded guys in loose like bowling wear shirts with flowers or suns on them and what look like big faggy necklaces of flowers <laughs> sorry, around what would be their necks if they had necks turn out to be chasing Randy Lenz around this Montego car. <laughs> Yet another guy with a necklace and a plaid don- Donegal is... that That's the, like, cap, right? Like the, yeah. Um, like the Scottish cap mm-hmm. with, like, the little pom-pom on it? Yeah. Uh, is holding the rest of the residents at bay on the lawn of number four with a nasty-looking item, which takes us to t- in note 255, uh, NNE Street Argo for any type, kind of handgun. Mm-hmm. A nasty-looking item expertly held. Everything now slightly slows down. At the sight of an item held on his residence, there's almost a kind of mechanistic click as Gately's mind shifts into a different kind of drive. He gets very cool and clear, and his headache recedes and his breathing slows. It's not so much that things slow as break into frames. The ruckus has aroused the old nurse in number four who asks for help, and her spectral figure is splayed in a nighty against an upstairs number four window, yelling, Yelp! <laughs> Hester Thrale now has her pink-nailed hands over her eyes and is screaming over and over for nobody to hurt nobody, especially her. It's the bulldog item that holds the attention. The two guys chasing Lens around the Montego are unarmed, but look coldly determined in a way Gately recognizes. They're not wearing coats either, but they don't look cold. All this appraisal is taking only seconds. It only takes time to list it. They have vaguely non-U.S. beards and are each about (laughs) four-fifths Gately size. They take turns coming around the car and running past the headlights glare, and Gately can see they have similar froggy, lippy, pale, foreign faces. Lens is talking at the guys nonstop, mostly (laughs) imprecating. They're all three going around and around the car like a cartoon. Gately's still walking up as he sees all this. It's obvious to appraisal the foreignish guys aren't real bright because of their chasing lens in tandem instead of heading around the car in opposite directions to trap him in like a pincer. (laughs) They all three stop and start, lens across the car from them. Some of the at-bay residents are yelling to lens. Like most Coke dealers, lens is quick on his feet, his top (laughs) coat billowing and then settling whenever he stops. Lens's voice is nonstop. He's alternatively inviting the guy to perform impossible acts and advancing Baroque arguments for how whatever they think he did, there's no way he was even in the same area code as whatever happened that they think he did. The guys keep speeding up like they want to catch Lens just to shut him up. Ken Erdetti has his hands up and his car keys in his hand. His legs look like he's about to wet himself. Clinette and the new black girl, clearly veterans at gunpoint etiquette, are prone on the lawn with their fingers laced behind their head. Nell Gunther's assumed Lenz's old martial arts crane stance, hands twisted into flat claws, eyeing the guy's 44, which pans coolly back and forth over the residence. This smaller guy gets the most frames the slowest. He's got on a plaid hunting cap that keeps Gately from seeing if he's foreign also. But the guy's holding the weapon in the classic weaver stance of somebody that can really shoot. Left foot slightly forward, slightly hunched, a two-handed grip with the right arm cocked elbow out so the items held high up in front of the guy's face, up to his sighting eye. This is how policemen and made guys from the North End shoot. Gately knows weapons way better than sobriety still. <laughs> and the item, if the guy trig pulls on some resident that resident's going down, the item's some customized version of a U.S. 44 Bulldog special, or maybe a Nuck or a Brazilian clone, blunt and ugly and with a bore like the mouth of a cave. The stout alcoholic kid, Tingley, has both hands to his cheeks and is 100% at bay. 
The piece has been <laughs> modified, Gately can appraise. The barrel's been vented out near the muzzle to cut your bulldog's infamous recoil. The hammer's bobbed, and the thing's got a fat magnaport or clone grip like the Metro Finest favor. This is not a weekend warrior or liquor store holdup type, type item. It's one that's made real specifically for putting projectiles into people. It's not a semi-auto, but is throated for a fucking speed loader, which Gately can't see if the guy's got a speed loader under the loose floral shirt, but needs to assume the guy's got near-unlimited shots with a speed loader. The North Shore finest, on the other hand, wrap their grips in this, like, colored gauze that wicks sweat. <laughs> Gately tries to recall a past associate's insufferable ammo lectures when under the influence. Your bulldog and clones can take anything from light target loads and wad cutter to Colt soft tip dum-dums and worse. He's pretty sure this thing could put him down with one round. He's not sure. Gately's never been shot, but he's seen guys shot. He feels something that is neither fear nor excitement. Joel Van D is shouting stuff you can't make out, and Erdetti at bay on the lawns calling out to her to get her head out of the whole picture. Gately's been bearing down this whole brief time, both seeing his breath and hearing it, beating his arms across his chest to keep some feeling in his hands. You could almost call what he feels a kind of jolly calm. The un-American guys chase Lens and then stop across the car facing him for a second and then get furious again and chase him. Gately guesses he ought to be grateful that the third guy doesn't come over and just shoot him. <laughs> Lens, put, Lens puts both hands on whatever part of the car he stops at and sends language out across the car at the two guys. Lens's white wig is askew and he's got no mustache, you can see. EM security, normally so scrupulous with their fucking trucks at 005 hours, is nowhere around, lending weight to let an, yet another cliche. If you ask Gately what he was feeling right the second, he'd have no idea. He's got a hand up, shading his eyes, and closes on the Montego as things further clarify. One of the guys, now you can see, has Lenz's disguise's mustache in two fingers and keeps holding it up and brandishing it, Lenz. The other guy issues stilted but colorful threats in a Canadian accent. So it emerges on Gately. It's Nux. The trio Lenz has managed to somehow enrage is Nux. Gately cops a black surge of remember wenning, the babbling little football head Quebecer he'd killed by gagging a man with a bad cold. Mm -hmm. This line of thinking is intolerable. Joel's overhead shout for uh, to for Christ's sake call somebody, uh, Pat. Oh, for sorry, Joel's Joel's overhead shout to for Christ's sake somebody call Pat mixes in and out of the help lady's cries. It occurs to Gately that the help lady has cried wolf for so many years that real shouts for real help are all going to be ignored. The residents all look to Gately as he crosses the street directly into the Montego's wash of light. Hester Thrail screams out, look, there's an item. <laughs> the plaid hat knuck pans stiffly to sight at Gately, his elbow up around his ear. It occurs to Gately if you fire with an item right up to your sighting eye like that, won't you get a face full of cordite? There's a break in the circular action around the throbbing car as Len shouts Don with great gusto just as the help lady shouts for help. The knuck with the item has backed up several steps to keep the residents in his peripheral vision while he sights square on Gately as the massive knuck holding the mustache across the car tells Gately if it was him, he'd return to whence he came, him, to avoid the trouble. <laughs> Gately nods and beams. Nucks really do pronounce the with a Z. <laughs> Both the car and Lens are between Gately and the large Nucks. Lens is back to Gately. Gately stands quietly, wishing he felt different about potential trouble. Less, <laughs> less almost jolly. Late in Gately's substance and burglary, burglary careers, when he'd felt so low about himself, he'd had sick little fantasies of saving somebody from harm, some innocent party, and getting killed in the process, and getting eulogized at great length in bold-faced globe print. Now Lenz breaks away from the hood of the car and dashes Gately's way and around behind him to stand behind him, spreading his arms wide to put a hand on each of Gately's shoulders, using Don Gately like a shield. Gately's stance has the kind of weary resolution of like, you'll have to go through me. The only anxious part of him can see the log entry he'll have to make if residents come to physical <laughs> grief on his shift. For a moment, he can almost smell the smells of the penitentiary, armpits and pomade and sour food and cribbage board wood and reefer and mop water, the rich piss stink of a zoo lion's house, the smell of the bars you lace your hands through and stand there looking out. This line of thinking is intolerable. He's neither goose pimpled nor sweating. His senses haven't been this keen in over a year. The stars in their jelly and dirty sodium lamplight and stark white steer horns of headlights splayed at residences different angles. Star-chalked sky, his breath, 
faraway horns, low trill of Ask Me's way to the north, thin, keen, cold air in his wide open nose, motionless heads at number five's windows. Should we stop there? We should. Yes. Great. <laughs> awesome. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's Nux. <laughs> it's Nux. But, you know, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to this and hope that Gately gets a hero moment here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- this is kind of what he was made for. But do, do you think that in his fantasies of uh, becoming a hero, he, he would be rescuing someone like Randy, Randy Lenz? No, but that's the thing is that that's the thing about being a hero is you don't get to choose who you rescue, you know? That's very, um, uh, I don't know, very, very uh, comic book of you to say. Yeah, well, you got... He's <laughs> a friendly neighborhood Don Gately. Yes, he is a friendly neighborhood Don Gately. I mean, he, he is... Uh, as much as there is a heroic fi- figure in this book, uh, he is the one that is portrayed, I would say, most heroically in his, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Self, self-abasement? His, his, patience. His and, patience, uh, his selflessness. His what, kind of the, like, what's the word I like so much? Um, oh, shit. I'm not going to be able to think about it. Uh, the, oh, sublimating. Yes, yes. Uh, that he is of all the people that we met through Edit House, the one who has most internalized the uh, necessities of recovery, mm-hmm. um, in his own like dumb zen way of being like, I you just you just got to keep doing stuff and do stuff for other people, you know. Yeah, and but that's, that's part of the whole thing. You know, at the at the end of this chapter when he's talking about how you know like alert he feels Mm -hmm. that there is something dare i say stimulating about the potential for violence it's true is you know that might stoke some some kind of old feelings in him i mean he it's funny that it shows him both kind of getting excited about the prospect of like uh getting Mm -hmm. back into the old the old habits but then also thinking ahead to like jail yes and uh regretting killing uh marath not marath um, well, i i don't know if you've ever uh had one of those experiences where maybe you have a moment where you feel like in physical danger or something and that encapsulated in that moment you always at least for me you mm-hmm. always do have things of, of being like you know the instinctual thing of like oh i needed to, to like move or do something so i don't get Hurt, hurt, but also mixed in there being like, oh, if I have to go to the hospital, I'll have to fill out a bunch of forms and that'll suck. Yeah. You know, exactly. like, you know, like those, those kind of things that are in there are yeah. like, or like, oh, I really don't want to call my mom and tell her that I got hit by a car or something like that, you know? Yeah. It, that, that's, that's like in there in that moment. And I, I think ju- like, oh, yeah, good. The, the thing about the alertness, I, I guess that is, you know, it, you could read that as a comment on, on like <laughs> Don's insi- like, deep like lust for violence or something but also i think that for my my thought about that was just from being in this like eternal um purgatory of recovery where you have to place yourself in this zone of like nothing ever happening yeah of right. just having even one moment of actual excitement mm-hmm. that like reactivates some of those endorphins that you have yeah. purposely been denying yourself from from uh you know, no substance lifestyle. And also, I mean, let, let's be real, and I, I don't think this will be too much of a spoiler for what happens next. Don Gately is built for violence. Yes. He is a gigantic dude. He's Reacher. He, he is Reacher. I actually think the portrayal of, of Reacher in Writer, that series is perfect where, like, he's a, the prospect of violence is nothing to him because yes. he's like, I'm huge and good good at violence. I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, in, in the... um in the writer like uh hierarchy of needs is like you know the bottom thing is like plot story literally what happens mm-hmm. and then maybe a lineup is like themes uh you know uh, metaphors uh symbolism and then above that is like w- world philosophy and then ab- yeah. above that is, is like morality and mm-hmm. then the very top brick is what if there was a big guy <laughs> What if a guy was huge? Yeah. <laughs> Simon, Simonize my bait. What? Wait, can I ask a very stupid question? What does Simonize mean? I have no idea. I think that's something a fancy thing that you get at a, a car wash that, like, I don't know, some kind of like sealing. Yeah. Uh, to like prevent rusting or it's something. It's just po- it's polishing. Yeah. Uh, you'll you'll never know how beautiful you can make your car look until you Simonize. Oh, it's a it is a um. I it seems to maybe be a proper uh, uh what do you call it when something is a trademark name yeah there's like a a registered trademark yeah 
Simonize. Of of the Simon Company. Yeah. Simonize that, me, baby. That's Simonize cool. my baby. <laughs> Simon. Done. The, the lights are done. Gone, damn it. Done. <laughs> the Roachmobile. <laughs> it, also, am I understanding this correctly that he basically has like the grease lightning car, where he has a VW bug where the engine has is been, like popped the out of the back, has been yeah. replaced by like a clear uh, thing, so you yeah, can like, he's see got, the car's guts. He's got like a roadster VW where the 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 engine has been souped up, so it pops out of the back. I understand to go back a little bit because I I think the other interesting bit of this thing is like the. The talk about um, a- addicts and college students thinking that they're invincible, um, invincible. and uh, uh, just the yeah the the idea that the pedestrian who just like does not believe that they're ever going to get hit by a car yeah. versus the older I get, the more I basically assume that I'm going to get hit yes. by a car and try everything I can to not get hit by a car. It is true, even though I I look I think that I've always had a pretty healthy respect for cars. I've always been a pretty good. <laughs> driver Mm. but it is true that the older i get and especially i think crucially because it's insanely they let you drive in ohio when you're 15 and a half that's way i'm sorry that's way too wild to me um but also you know so then i drove a lot in high school and then you know drove a little in college and then moved to new york and basically stopped driving for long uh stretches yeah and now every time i get into a car i'm like it is absolutely insane that they let that we are allowed to like just pilot these yeah, things around. i have a lot of driving anxiety honestly it's as, it, as i should i don't i don't think it's misplaced anxiety yeah, the older i get the more insane cars seem and then especially i'm sure a lot can, of our listenership agrees that that cars are an absolute bane on on uh human civilization yeah i mean you, you know our uh one of my favorite follows on the internet jameson uh who I don't how, how did I even start following? I literally don't know. But uh, he was friends with the, Alan. Knew him. Okay, so he he basically said he has a theory that like car ownership means that you stop seeing human beings like in quite the same way. Yes, and I do think that one of the, one of the most sinister inventions actually of the 20th century is is not you know not not the bomb. It's the car. Yes, because it it does fundamentally change your relationship to people in space. Yes, well, it's true because when you're on the road in a car, it's not other people; it's other cars. It's other cars, and then you which are objects, people. not things. Yeah, or which are things, not people. Yeah, it's it's dark. I don't I don't like it. Yeah, and then also when you're in a car, even when you see pedestrians, they are you you. It puts you in a mindset where a pedestrian is just like a type of vehicle. Yeah. You know, it's a different a type. Of, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's not good. They're, I, don't, they're I don't know evil. how to fix it other than trains, trains, glorious trains. Everyone should get on a train. Well, look, here's the way I, uh, you know, I, I basically think that now that we have tech, not that I want to like big up Uber and Lyft or anything, but I basically think now that that is like a viable technology, like private car ownership should go away and it should purely be like fleets yeah. of cars that you subscribe to. And yeah. that like, not that we wouldn't have cars, but it would all just be like shared commodity of cars, but, but there are enough on a road. And crucially, of course, in this schema, the drivers of said cars are well compensated mm-hmm. uh, for their, for their work. But you know, you basically, no matter where you are, you don't own a, or what you do, you don't own a car. You just call a car yeah. at every moment to do when you need one. That's interesting. I also think like communal. Which, you know, it's still, you'd still have them, but it would probably be like 20% of the cars that we have now. You yeah. Know? What about, what about a car share that is like a communal ownership of a car? Like I'm just thinking of yeah. like a group of friends and they all shared a car. Yes. And so maybe like you did a grocery trip together uh, or you went, you all like traveled together, or like you get it this weekend, yes. and we'll get it next weekend. But. Well, I mean, but then you would also need, the, but I mean, the cru- the thing about the rideshare that's so genius is that you can call the car to you, to you. You don't have to yeah. go get it. Yeah, and I mean, that's why it would be great. You know, it's it sucks so much to be in this trap where, you know, the the dream of automated cars, I think, genuinely would be a. Because like like my my utopian vision for like the future of cars is that yes, we do eventually get automated cars, and then. Yes, we move into this fleet thing where there is no private car ownership. It's yeah. just all this fleet of completely automated vehicles. And yeah. whenever you need one, you call one. It comes straight to you. It drives you where you need to go. It goes on to the yeah. next person. Yeah. There are enough of them on the road that, you know, there's never a wait time of more than like seven to ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, which is a completely reasonable amount of time to wait for a vehicle that will take you anywhere. Anywhere. Yes. And then you don't have to park it. Yes. Ah! 
that we don't have. Yeah, yeah. And they can. We can have like garages for them, so we can open yeah. up the and street, I, so we can have more bikes and more people walking around. Exactly, and closed down, so you can eat, drink an aperol spritz on it. Yes, exactly. And uh, uh, like, All right, I'm calling Eric Adams. Uh, obviously, like cars are bad for the environment, but in that schema, you would again, you would have like a fifth of the amount of total cars going yeah. around and then emissions anyway, and so the that, traffic and uh, all that stuff that everyone would, my... would still get done everything that needed to yeah. be done also that's my utopian vision yeah. for the future of cars which doesn't seem that unrealistic but it fucking sucks to that ev- that like i don't know the, the possibility of self-driving cars is like wrapped up in in i don't know like elon musk's fortune or whatever i don't know yeah there's there, no is, the, yeah. we need to convince people that individual car ownership is not swaggy it's evil it's evil yes but i don't know i don't yeah. know how we do that maybe like a twitch streamer could tell tell people i mean the the mothers against drunk driving thing did actually stigmatize drunk driving it should just we should just change it to mothers, <laughs> mothers against, against driving. driving yes all right i fuck i fuck with that yes yeah, let's get into it. The 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 concert to end car ownership. Yeah. We should. You know. I mean, we you should reframe private car ownership like a drug addiction. <laughs> like you should be ashamed if you if, like like if you uh. You know, I mean, you. Well, the, you I say guess that's that... the move now is that not to be ashamed of around addiction, but well, yeah. at a certain level, social shaming is a good way to get people to stop doing things. Yeah, well, I would say take the shame away from drug addiction and to put it on, on something car, that yeah. is, uh, I would say, far more voluntary. Yeah. And far more damaging in some ways. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe that's an out-of-pocket thing to say. I, I don't know. Um, but you, you, I know you're being semi-facetious, but I do think that like Gen Z, for example, attitudes toward uh, consumption, at least online. I know online isn't the real world necessarily, but like even in the past years, seeing a huge shift of people like shaming people for drinking plastic water bottles, for example. Like mm-hmm. I was working at a, a wellness media company and like the idea like we there were certain things that you just couldn't put on social media because the image of waste was there yeah. and younger people don't like that. Yes. So there's, I do think that there is some, some mm-hmm. mental change around like environmental attitudes and we just gotta, we gotta get people going to true like eco-terrorist yes. <laughs> mindset. Uh, allegedly parody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, this won't be evidence anyway. Men only want one thing and it's fucking disgusting. Cool car. I just don't. I'm sorry. I think trains are way cooler. They call, are. call me call me nuts, but I think there's nothing more cool than hopping into your seat on the Amtrak choo choo. Oh God! I as s- it heads west. I saw a a beautiful map of the former uh, streetcar lines in Brooklyn before they ripped them all up in the 40s and 50s, oh. Roger Rabbit style. Now imagine taking a streetcar from here straight down into a Bay Ridge. Oh. Uh, this is truly this is what they took from us. Anyway, I mean, I guess this segment was a lot a lot about the minutia and how obnoxious of cars is so it makes sense that we would talk about cars so it's long. the car the car is what bring the car thing is what brings people outside for this yeah. incident so yes. it's worth talking about in uh, Bo- boston is both a congested city but also a city with like a lot of car ownership do you think it, and car ownership is like individualism of uh you know giving these people who are disenfranchised in a lot of ways some kind of way around i don't know do you think it is uh, liter- literarily purposeful that he puts so many fucking endnotes in this segment going up to like the yeah, a thing of something I happening? I do. I do. Because he does not need to. Yeah. He does not need to do that. <laughs> and especially, <laughs> we'd be, I feel like we'd been in a, a kind of a dearth of endnotes for a while. Yeah, the, we were, the, the, we were the off low the... endnote density. And then this one segment has like 10 of them that are just like yes. little pieces of minutia. Yes. I mean, what do, what do you think is the what would you what would your literary analysis of that be other than just to disrupt the 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 uh you know the 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 flow the, yeah, the I th- pacing? I think, I think it feels like a self conscious of like all right now that something is happening like we're gonna keep like distracting you yeah um, like literally what I said just blue ballsing yeah uh, something yeah I mean do you think it is particularly astute of me to be like oh the Canadians are gonna disrupt this this car thing I think it is astute. Or is it just like, I mean, that's just like my general sense of how plotting and narrative works, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to say. But Would you have guessed that? Did you guess that the first time you were? I, I, you know, I'm actually not a very predictive reader, which is mm-hmm. why I'd actually be a great, um, uh, I, getting into like commercial fiction, especially stuff with like crime solving or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty like, I, I have an ability to, I don't even actually, yeah. 
ability is the wrong word. I have a tendency to get so lost in the sauce because I get really absorbed in what I read that I can basically be taken uh, taken by the hand and dragged through a bunch of plot and then be like, oh my God, he was dead the whole time. And I'd be like, oh wow, <laughs> shit. I don't like I don't like to solve fiction. Yes. I just like to read it. Well, I have I have very like screenplay mindset when I read fiction, yeah. which is, you know, there are, you watch enough movies and you think about writing in the specific sense of how movies are paced. Yeah. And then you get a sense of being like, "Oh, this thing will happen here like this," you know? Yeah. Which I I'm not I'm not a uh, shaming you. Also, the way we are reading this encourages you yeah, know, yeah. thinking ahead to be like, "Oh, oh, what's going to happen next?" But I just I I would rather get immersed in a way that I will just be like as surprised by what happens as the very characters themselves who are also my friends. They are your friends. And I w- I I wish that were me. Uh of all these people Don Gailey is most my friend. I would love to have um I'd love uh, to buy him a coffee. I would lo- I would like to be as good good in a crisis as Don. Yeah. I'm I'm constantly trying to modulate my fight or flight a little bit better. Well, I d- the thing is that he talks about how the managerial stuff gives him a headache, but he seems like he's fairly good at it, and he at does seem like he, he has it. a good flow. I, I'm just remembering him taking pride in all his cooking, even if it sucks. Also, keep in mind that like I'm pretty sure his ass is gonna have to get up at like four in the morning in order to go scrub shit. Yep. In the homeless shelter the next day. And it's midnight. He's a good guy. Oh, God. Let let Don have one full night's sleep challenge. Uh, all right. This is a long one. I bet we're almost at an hour. Yep. One hour, 46 seconds. That was a good guess for me. Wow. Look at you, Mr. Time Man. Mr. Sense of Time. <laughs> uh, but this is a good segment. Yeah. Um, and we'll be back with uh, next uh, week with... Maybe the thrilling conclusion to this segment. Maybe not. Who can say? I don't know how many pages we ended up doing. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.